Hello and a very warm welcome. You're listening to Search for Truth. I'm John Martin and I introduce our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, with the second programme in the series called Nights of Old. Today, Brian is looking at what happened on a particular night to the Israelite people after generations of slavery in the land of Egypt. It's a night which the Jewish people were commanded to remember with a permanent anniversary celebration. It's known today as the Pesach, or Passover. So, over to Brian. Yes, John. Some of the greatest events in the history of the Bible took place at night. Today we'll look at one I'm calling the night when death stalked the land. It was a night that would open up a new chapter in God's dealings with the world. Its setting is the ancient land of Egypt. At this time in history, terrible plagues have recently troubled the land of Egypt. Hailstones have beaten down its harvests. Frogs have come up from its waters into its houses. Diseases have smitten its cattle and its inhabitants. Blood has reddened its water supply. Locusts have clouded out the sun. And there has also been a thick darkness of a kind that could be felt. Why has all this happened, you ask? Because Pharaoh, the king of all Egypt, has been refusing to release his Israelite slaves. The God of the Israelites has been behind those plagues. Now once again, but for the last time, Pharaoh's just broken his promise to let the Israelites go free. He's ordered Moses, the leader of the Israelite slaves, to get out of his palace. But the same Moses now has an audience with someone infinitely greater than the Pharaoh of Egypt. The Bible next records the words of the Lord God to Moses. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, 
for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go as you have requested. Just imagine an Israelite child that night in one of the homes in Egypt. He's asking his dad why the little lamb has got to be killed. Because God has said so, his father replies. But dad, it's not fair. It's so innocent. For the past four days I've enjoyed having it as a pet. Why can't we keep it? Because, his dad replies slowly, if I don't sacrifice this lamb, you won't still be alive tomorrow morning. Fourteen centuries later, when Jesus Christ was on earth, Jews were still commemorating this historic deliverance, as they'd done throughout the centuries. God had asked them to remember that night in Egypt when he'd smitten the firstborn males of Egypt, but delivered his people wherever the blood was sprinkled on the door frames. In God's timetable, arranged in advance, Jesus was set to die at the time of the annual Passover commemoration. That was no coincidence. Christ bore our sins upon the cross and died for us so that by his death we may live. Why did he, an innocent, a sinless man, have to die? The Bible tells us that if he'd not been sacrificed as the Lamb of God, we'd all face God's judgment upon us as sinners. Sinners who deserve a fate described by the Bible as the second death which is to be removed from a sense of well-being and from God forever and ever. The meaning of the cross where Jesus died is at the heart of the gospel, God's good news for this world. John the Baptist said that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul said that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And the prophet Isaiah added, that he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripe we are healed. There's power in this glorious good news when a person realises and confesses, Christ died for me, died as my substitute. Paul said that it was the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he delivered first of all whenever he preached. Yes, Christ did die for us. During the last year of the American Civil War, a man paid a visit to the battlefield of Chickamauga, where on September 19 and 20, in the year of 1863, the army under Rosecrans was almost destroyed and driven back into Chattanooga by the Confederate army under General Bragg. The battlefield was not then as it is now, a beautiful place with stately monuments rising among the trees. But at the time when the man visited it, it still bore the scars of battle and was furrowed with recent graves. Over one of these new-made graves, the visitor saw someone on his knees planting flowers. Walking over toward him, he asked compassionately, Is it a son who's buried there? No, the man replied. An uncle, then? I suppose, or perhaps a brother. Some relation at least. No, the man again replied. The visitor then said, May I ask then, whose memory is it that you cherish and honour? 
The man explained why he was there to decorate that grave. He'd been drafted into the Confederate Army. There seemed to be no substitute to take his place, as the custom then allowed. But just before he was to say goodbye to his wife and his family and report to the training camp, a young man came to see him and said, You have a wife and a family depending upon you. When you're gone, you can't support them, whereas I'm unmarried and I've got no one depending upon me. Let me go in your place. The offer was accepted and the young man went off in his place to the training camp. At the Battle of Chickamauga, he was mortally wounded. The news of his death drifted back to the southern home of the man whose place he'd taken. As soon as he could save up enough money, he travelled to Chickamauga, and after a search, had found the grave of his friend with its primitive marker. The visitor was touched by this story, and later when he passed the same grave again, he noticed this time that it was now well covered with flowers. He also noticed that on a rough board at the head of the grave were cut these four words, He died for me. Those same four words sound out all the power and glory of the Christian faith. He, that's Jesus, died for me. It's said that the German artist Sternberg once met a little gypsy girl on the street and being struck with her charm and beauty, he asked her to go with him to his studio so that he could paint her picture. As she was sitting for him, she noticed on the wall of his studio a portrait of Christ on the cross, which Sternberg had only half finished. The ignorant gypsy girl asked who it was. When she was told it was a painting of Jesus Christ on the cross, she said, He must have been a very wicked man to have been nailed to a cross. The artist said, Oh no, on the contrary, Christ was the best man who ever lived, and he died on the cross that others might live. Did he die for you? asked the simple and innocent child. That question touched the heart and the conscience of the artist, who wasn't a Christian. Did he die for you? The question haunted him day and night, reminding him that Christ had died for him. Finally, he did come to accept that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross had been for himself, and so he became a Christian. So that's the question I want to leave with us all today. Did he die for you? Did Jesus die for you? Let's go back one last time in thought to that night when death stalked the land of Egypt, to that momentous night when we imagined an Israelite child asking his dad why the little lamb had got to be killed. Because God has said so, the father had replied. Remember the protest? But dad, it's not fair. The lamb's so innocent. For the past four days, I've enjoyed having it as a pet. Why can't we keep it? Because, his dad had slowly replied, if I don't sacrifice this lamb, you won't still be alive tomorrow morning. Have you, by faith, taken your stand behind the protecting blood of Jesus Christ, as Israelite children once took their stand behind bloodstained doors on that night long ago? Are you absolutely sure that God's judgment will not fall on you, but will pass over you too? Please don't head out carelessly into a lost eternity. Turn and find shelter in the blood of Christ. He did die for you. Was it for me? Oh.
I do hope you can apply these words of our hymn to yourself. Was it for me he bowed his head upon the cross and freely shed his precious blood? That crimson tide, was it for me the Saviour died? It was for me, yes, all for me. O love of God, so great, so free. O wondrous love, I'll shout and sing. He died for me, my Lord and King. That's the end of our teaching for today, but if you'd like to study the programmes in this series with the help of a transcript booklet, you can obtain it by requesting the title Knights of Old, and you can order by email or by post, and here's our contact details. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info You might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen e-books. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and there you'll find them. So now on behalf of Brian Johnston, David Shaw, our singers and everyone else at Search for Truth, Goodbye, God bless, and thank you for listening.